Jansen Bradshaw, blogger of 13 years at Everyday Reading and mom of four, teaches me some of her best tips today on how to really engage kids in reading, how to teach them to love to read, how to pick the best books, and she shares some of her top must-read recommendations. All right, you guys, today I'm going to talk about something that a subject I just absolutely love with someone I adore. So today I've got Jansen Bradshaw, and she is going to talk to us all about her love for reading. So Jansen, do you want to just tell us who you are and what you're up to? I'd love to. I have to say, just when you were doing that introduction, just you talking about books for a second there, I just had this big goofy grin on my face. I just love talking about books. So I'm really excited to be here. Me too. So my background is I was a children's librarian in Boston, Massachusetts before my children were born. I have a master's in library and information studies with an emphasis in children's literature. And then when I had my children, I have four little girls. Then I left my job to stay home with them. And I blog at Everyday Reading about books, book recommendations, book lists, ideas for reading with your kids, fitting in your own reading. Anything that is at all book related is what I want to talk about on my blog. Um, And so I've been running that for 13 years this fall. So it's kind of like grandma years in blogging. That's incredible. (laughs) You're an OG, original gangster. Love it. Uh, So that's been really fun. And I live now in Provo, Utah with my husband and our four daughters. We just moved here this last year. We've lived all around the country and kind of the world. We've lived in London, Boston, Austin, Texas, North Carolina, most recently Arizona. And then my husband and I also run a little business called London Littles together and we sell rain boots for children. So cute. That's so fun. And so what are your girls' ages? I'm trying to picture how old each of them are. Two, four, six, and nine. Awesome. How is that having an actual clan of little women? It is so fantastic. That's funny that you say that because when I was expecting my fourth child, everyone was like, oh, are you hoping for a boy? I'm like, are you kidding? I'm hoping to make my own little women family here. Yes. I was not sad at all. (laughs) That's so funny. I felt the same way when we've had each of our girls. I'm just like, I love it. Bring on all the girls, all the girly things. Yeah. I took my, one of my daughters into the doctors a few weeks ago and I had all my girls there because it was summer. And the doctor said, I think your husband needs to get like a boy fish or something. (laughs) (laughs) I said, I think the last thing we need is any pets in our house. (laughs) Yeah. That's so funny. Poor Neil, even our dog is a girl. (laughs) Seriously, he is just surrounded. So, but I feel like girl dads are just the best. So, well, you know, you know, Ralphie, I know she's been on your podcast. Yeah. Dear friend of mine, when we lived in Texas together, you know, she has four girls and she says the same thing. Like girl dads are one of a kind. They really are. They just have to be, they, they put up with a lot. That's for sure. (laughs) Yes. So, okay. Well, I want to just get right into reading. And first I have to tell you that we really were using your blog a lot this past summer. We used it for the printable to chart and keep track of all the books that Annabelle was reading. And um, she did a, this was really sweet. She did the same summer reading program that I did growing up. So my grandpa is still alive and he would sit down with me every summer starting when I was in kindergarten. So when I, you know, when I could actually read a simple book 
And I had to go into his big, scary law office and sit down with him and make a goal. And he had to agree that it was, you know, a hard enough goal of, you know, either reading a certain amount of books or reading a certain amount per day. And then if I completed the goal by the end of the summer, he handed me a $100 bill at the end of the summer. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. So it just, I really credit him for my love for reading. And so I took Annabelle over to his house at the very beginning of the summer. It was actually, we were there for Memorial Day and I took her over and had her sit down and talk to my grandpa. And they came up with a little goal and she read all summer and was very proud of you know, working toward that goal. So, but anyway, going back to your blog, we used that cute little reading, summer reading chart. And I also was leaning on all of your book recommendations for finding some ideas for her to read. And I even used, you had a really helpful list of audiobooks for kids oh, yeah, that yeah, yeah. was clean. And I loved that. That was so exciting. So she was listening to this summer, she listened to something, some like Treehouse book. Oh yeah, um, Magic Treehouse. Yes. And she was really loving that. So I just feel like your blog is such a great resource. So tell me how you got started with all of this. What inspired your love for reading and books and all of these things? So I I grew up with a mom. You know, when you were telling me about your grandpa, it made me think almost every person I've ever talked to who loves reading had someone in their life, uh, you know, usually an adult that helped them love reading Often that's a parent or a grandparent. Occasionally it's a teacher or a librarian, somebody who really fosters that love of reading for them. And that is 100% my experience. My mom loves to read. And she read to me and my siblings all through our growing up years. We are actually, she homeschooled me and my sisters and I through until we went to high school. And she read out loud with each of us individually every day until even uh, when I was in high school, you know, I would come home. And I'd be like doing my anatomy homework or whatever. And she was reading Jane Eyre to me in uh, Tale of Two Cities. So, you know, I just had such a fantastic reading upbringing that made it so easy for me to love books and reading. And so that is my goal for my children and also for everyday reading is to help other parents, especially those, you know, I get a lot of emails from people who say, I, I am not a reader. I didn't grow up reading. I don't, I've never loved to read, but I want that for my children. And so I feel like that's such a gift for me to be able to pass along because I did have that. That's really cool. What a great gift that, you know, you were given and now you're able to pass that on to your children and not only your children, but so many other children too. My children have been a benefactor of your hard work. So (laughs) that's so nice of you. So Tell me your, I want to go back to what you said your degree was. You have a a degree in library study. I don't yeah. even want to get it wrong. Tell me again. I've never even heard of that before. Um, it's called a master's in library and information studies. So there's not really that many of them actually in the country now. I think it's less than 50. Many wow. states don't have any at all. So I did mine at the University of Texas in Austin. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Longhorns. And it was, it's a, a top program. And because we lived in Texas, you know, I got to go at resident rates, which was such a blessing. It's very inexpensive if you're a Texas resident. Mm-hmm. It's a really great program. And then, you know, I think like many master's degrees, you have a lot of flexibility in what, you know, the other kind of the core courses, but then you get to really choose what you want to focus on. And so my focus was on children's literature and services for children. 
And their faculty is really good. You know, one of the professors that I worked with extensively had been on the Caldecott committee. She worked on, you know, highly involved with, you know, the top, top, top book programs in the country, which was such a fun experience for me. That is so cool. And so I just want to know how, because I love to read, but like that's next level. So (laughs) bridge the gap for me between being just a normal kid who loves to read and being like, this is going to be my life's work. So, you know, I mean, it's one of those things in hindsight that kind of looks cleaner than it really was. You know, (laughs) in the moment, you're kind of like feeling through the dark, you know, but I was an uh, undergraduate degree in history. And I loved, I've always loved history and I loved especially the reading aspect of it. And I had great professors that usually picked books instead of textbooks to read along with it. So it was really fun to do that reading. But then, you know, I was thinking, what do I want to do when I graduate? And, you know, the most common for a history degree, unless you're doing like law school or something, is history teaching. And I really didn't have a lot of interest in being a high school teacher or elementary school teacher, but I loved children's literature and really, especially toward the end of my undergraduate degree, really developed a strong interest in that. And so I thought, you know, this is kind of the best of both worlds where I could work with children and children's literature, uh, but not be a full-time classroom teacher. And for almost every library, school library job, you have to have a master's in library science, an MLS or an MLIS, or, you know, it's a little bit different depending. Um, And so I knew before I even graduated that that was what I wanted to do. And then one of the main reasons we moved to Texas, and then my husband took a job there was so that I could go to this program after I worked for about a year and a half while I got residency. Wow, that's so cool. Yeah, it was, it, it really worked out very smoothly better than I could have expected. Props to your husband for supporting (laughs) that dream of yours too. That is really cool. Yeah. I love that about your story. So when most people do this degree, what's their, what's like the end goal? Do people just do it because they love it and have a passion for it? Is there something that most people aspire to do after that? So it's in the last, I would imagine if you did this degree 25 years ago, Almost everyone in your program would have been all about books and libraries. Now, in the last 20 or so years, it's really, there's a huge digital aspect of it. And, Mm. you know, of course, Austin is a big tech hub. So you won't be surprised to know that the program has a strong, you know, information side more than just libraries. So many of my classmates were going into digital information kinds of jobs that really weren't library related at all necessarily you know, going to work for companies that are trying to figure out how do we organize all this data that we have, whether that's for sales or for medical data or whatever. So I would say about half was that. And then the other half was more the library side. And of course, those were the students because of the classes that I chose to take that I was interacting with more. So then there's classes like, you know, digital resources for elementary schools and young adult literature classes and public library, you know, running a public library classes. So, you know, anything you can imagine that's book or library related, there was going to be a class that was going to pop up sometime in your four semesters there. I mean, it was just like being in a candy store, basically trying to choose classes to take there. It was just really, really fun. But I would say overall, what people were doing was all over the board. That is fascinating. I just can't, yeah, I can't even imagine all of the 
places you could go with that, but really cool. So I want to go into, you mentioned public libraries, and this has been a question for me for a while. Are public libraries, with all of the digital resources in our world now, are they dying? Are they okay? What, what's, what are they looking like now? And are people still just loving them? Or is it, you know, what's, what does that look like in our world right now? I would say about the time that I was graduating, which was a little over 10 years ago, there was some of that worry, like, are libraries going to be obsolete? Is this job, you know, this degree that I just paid all this money for about to, you know, I'm not going to be able to get a job at all. I think how it's played out, you know, and of course things could change again is right now, I think libraries are more important to communities than they've ever been before Mm. because it's um, one of the few places that anyone can have access to all, you know, I mean, I think, you know, we kind of live this privileged lifestyle and we just think, you know, we all have our smartphones, we all have our laptops, you know, why would we need to go to the library? And there's so many people who don't have access to the computers or internets, mm-hmm. internets, internet. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Sometimes we call them the internet too. It's fine. So I think the library has become the place that those resources are available to the whole community. So it's even more valuable in a community than they have been before. And I think libraries have really worked in order to not become obsolete, to really become more community centers. So you see more and more libraries doing just all sorts of cool things, you know, buying lots of eBooks and audio books and having amazing programming. The library that we lived by in North Carolina did Lego club every week, which was wildly popular. I mean, they had Mm. 85,000 Legos and you came and, you know, they'd have some ideas if you wanted to do those, or you could just do whatever you wanted with Legos. They had music time. Um, They have lots of classes that they teach for people to learn computer literacy or, you know, how to use a word document or how to browse the internet. Or I just happened to see yesterday when I was at the library that our library was teaching a social media class, like introduction to basic social media. Oh, wow. And based on my, what I hear from my readers, whenever I talk about a new popular book and people talk about the hold lines or, you know, the one that comes specifically to mind is when Michelle Obama's memoir came out earlier yes. this year, at the end of last year. And I asked people how long the hold line for that book was at their library. And most people were saying in the hundreds, more wow. than 100 people in line to get a copy of this book. And, you know, and I think it's not just that book. I think there's lots of books that people are using the library for. So maybe that was way longer than you wanted to hear, but I think. No, that's, that is so cool and so true. And, you know, even in our little community library, my kids love going to the library. It's like the, I swear they get as excited to go to the library as they do to go to Disneyland. (laughs) That's not an exaggeration. They are so thrilled to go over there and look at the books, but then also they have story time, they have coloring, they have just a lot of really cool community things like you're saying. So um, that is a place that my kids love to go and they always get super excited when they have a chance to go to the library. So I appreciate that insight and, you know, thinking about, okay, how can we be more involved in just our community's events at the library? Because there probably is a lot going on that a lot of people don't even know they could take advantage of. I I 100% agree. The Provo Library happens to be, I would say, the best library I've ever lived by. But everywhere we've lived, in Texas, in London, we had this tiny little neighborhood library. 
in uh, North Carolina, everywhere we've had really good libraries with different things. And it's fun to see what different libraries offer. Our, the one in Texas was starting to talk, I don't know if they've ever implemented this, about a drive-through window to pick up your holds, which I think oh, that's is the best cool. thing ever. I don't know if they've done it, but I did go to a community meeting where they said that was one of the biggest requests. We lived in a community that was tons of families and young kids and all these parents were like, I don't want to come in just to pick up my library hold. Can I just drive up and you'll hand them to me through a window? Like, yeah. A, <laughs> a, a drive through anything is a mom's dream. Amen. So that's really, what a cool idea. Okay, I want to get into reading books, and I, I have a lot of questions for you with that. So let's start with kids, first of all. Great. How do you get kids to love to read? What are some of your tips? So I think my number one tip for helping your kids love to read is to make it enjoyable. I think just human nature, we gravitate toward things that are fun or enjoyable, and we resist things that are not enjoyable. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I think it's very easy with, you know, the school system or, you know, with a parent who feels pressure for their child to learn to read or love to read to, you know, have it really stringent and like, you're going to read 20 minutes a day. And, you know, that it feels very like a chore. Mm -hmm. And I think the best thing you can do for your kids is to make it fun. And and that's going to look different for every family. Some of the things that work really well for our family, um, I read to my girls at night before they go to bed. Um, So of course they're thrilled to get to stay up an extra 20 minutes. Mm -hmm. And so that's a time when it feels fun. I'm never having to, you know, like twist their arms to get them to listen to me read aloud at night. Um, we, We listen to books together in the car when we're running errands. You know, I think for most kids running errands is like, the worst thing in the world (laughs) are. Um, And so whether it's through our library or audible or whatever, I try to always have an audio book that we're listening to together. And that's fun for them to listen to in the car. You know, this is the most basic tip. I try and choose really fun books. I was just thinking about this this morning, actually thinking about this interview because I was reading a book aloud to my girls and we started in April and it took us four months to get through it because I was just not really enjoying it. And Mm -hmm. so it was hard for me to ever feel like I wanted to make time for it. Like, oh, you guys just go to bed. We're not reading tonight. Or it just wasn't anything that I was really that excited about. And then we just started reading Number of the Stars. I don't know if you've read that one. Mm, Yes. Uh, Yeah. So good. (laughs) Yes. Like all the nostalgia feelings come right up to the surface just mentioning that book. I know. And I actually am reading the copy that I read when I was a little girl, my mom's name is in the front. It says 1991 Aww. in the front. So, you know, this is like the copy I grew up with. Lois Lowry, right? Yes, exactly. Good yeah. job. And I mean, we haven't missed a night. And then if they get ready early enough for school, I'm like, let's read for 10 minutes before you have to go to school. You know, it's, and so when it's a book that they're enjoying and that I'm enjoying, it's very easy to find time for that. Just like, I mean, how many of us have, you know, we can't get to the laundry. We didn't have time to make dinner or mow the lawn we have plenty of time to watch like an episode of Netflix every day. I was just thinking about that when you get really sucked into a series and you're like, oh no, nothing else in my life is going to get done now that I am so (laughs) sucked into this. Totally. And so I think it's the same thing if you can find books and it's going to be different books for every kid, for every parent, you know, and I think 
that's one of the reasons Harry Potter is so wildly popular is it's that really immersive experience. You know, when you, when I mentioned number of the stars and you were like, I suddenly have all these feelings about from my childhood of reading that book. And it's the same thing with these really popular books. They're popular because those are the kind of books that you, you move other things in your life aside to you're like, I can let my kids stay up 20 more minutes so that we can read another chapter. Or, you know, I can, I don't have to look at my phone. I'm going to read this book or, you know, my kids would rather come in and listen to this than play in the backyard. Um, And so I think if you can find those right books and that's the trick is to find books that they're really going to be excited about. And I think the same goes not just for chapter books, but picture books are the same. You know, there's a lot of really dull, boring picture books out there. And there's (laughs) really amazing. I mean, you know, the ones where your kids is like, mom, will you read this to me? You're like, I would rather scrub the toilet than read that. Right. Oh, it's always like these books that they get with like a free toy or something. (laughs) And I'm just like, why is this in our home right now? Absolutely. And then you're trying to hide it when they're staying or in bed or accidentally goes to Goodwill. Yes. But then there's the books that you're like, oh, I'm happy to read that one to you. And so I think, I think it's just, you know, it's like saying like, oh, I don't like food. Well, I'm sure you like food. It just might not be, you don't love Brussels sprouts, you know, but mm-hmm. there are, there are foods out there, you know, there are books out there that you or your child is going to love. It just might be some trial and error to find the right ones. Okay. So really finding the, finding the best books. So obviously you, you are an amazing resource for that and your blog, but what are your tips for if you walk into a library with your kids and you're looking for, you know, you're like, okay, we have 10 minutes here. You're looking for a really good book. Do you have tips on how to find those really good books? I, I do have a couple of tips. One, I would ask the librarians. Mm. Oh, they get to do like all sorts of boring things, like tell you where the <laughs> bathrooms are and, you know, pick up like papers that get left around. So it's really nice as a librarian when they come and say, can you just tell me a really great picture book to read or yeah. show me five or six really good options? It's like, payday for a librarian. So they will be happy to tell you that. So I think, you know, they're, they're a fantastic resource Two, One of my favorite little tricks is to, if most libraries keep the hold books out where you can just, where patrons can just grab them. And so I like to just walk up and down the hold aisle and see what other people have requested. And I do that for adult books too, just, you know, because, you know, a lot of the time what's on the shelf I don't know if you've seen on my blog, but every summer I do um, a list of a hundred picture books. The first year I did that, I had a reader that sent me a message and said, I took this to the library and out of the hundred picture books, only 11 of these were on the shelf. Wow. They were almost all, all the other ones were almost all checked out. So my library owned almost every one of them, but they just weren't on the shelves. And I think a lot of the time that is true that when you just browse, it's very hard to find good books because the best books are usually checked out. Yeah. And so the other trick is one to use the hold system, um, especially when you have little kids, it's so taxing to try and, you know, corral your children while you're trying to pull books off the shelf. So if you can just hop on your library's website and request them, then you can let someone who's getting paid or volunteering to go pull those off. And then you can just go grab them all. And then even if your child only brings home, you know, star Wars paperback, picture books or Dora the Explorer, you know, you've gotten some good books to read. So I love the library hold system. I think that makes life so much easier, especially when you have young children. The other thing is when they're bringing those carts out to reshelve the books that have been turned in, 
Mm-hmm. I think that's like a little gold mine too, of what mm-hmm. other people have actually been checking out and grab them before they even go back on the shelf. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> oh, and then one other thing that I'll mention is that on Instagram, whenever I talk about a picture book, I always use the hashtag Jansen's picture books mm-hmm. and there's okay. about 600 books on there right now. And so then I have a lot of readers that say they just pull that up when they go to the library and, you know, kind of browse through there to get some ideas of books. Gotcha. Okay. I love that. I want to ask about finding good books that as people get older and, you know, you've got, I don't have teenagers yet, but I would imagine when they get into that age and finding good books for them or even finding good books for adults, I have to tell you, I, uh, about six months ago, I bought a few book recommendations. I, it kind of was just this like bad streak of luck for me, but I physically threw in the garbage three books because I started reading them and was like, oh my gosh, this is, this is really, really bad material that I don't even want in my home. Yes, you know? I know exactly so, what you mean. There's a lot of that out there. Um, how do you filter that? How do you find like really, really great quality content? So, I mean, it's tricky. There's, there's just no easy answer to it. A couple of things. One, I think older books, that's the recommendation I always give to people who, the, the emails I get the most are ones less so because my children are younger about like teenagers, but more so advanced readers. You know, they're saying my child's reading on like a seventh or eighth or ninth grade level, but they're mm-hmm. in third grade. Yeah. I clearly don't want them like going in the young adult section, reading those <laughs> books as a yeah. you know nine-year-old. And so I think one of the best things is just older books. You know, you think of the classics like Number of the Stars or The Little Princess or mm-hmm. Heidi or Swiss Family Robinson. I, you know, I think there's this massive treasure trove, older books that don't have some of that edgier content, whether you Mm -hmm. just want cleaner things for you or because you have advanced readers and those older books tend to be on a more advanced level. You know, just, I think the literary level on a lot of those older books is much higher than on some of the newer books. So I think that's- just don't make them like they used to, right? (laughs) Yes, I know. I sound like a grandma now. And I love new books too, but I do think that that is a really good place to go for younger kids that read on a higher level, or just as an adult, I think a lot of time those older books are a great place to go to. I also, for newer books, my kind of two-prong system for quickly telling if it's going to have things that I object to is I like to use Common Sense Media. They have kind of a rating thing where it's usually... Oh, do they do that for books too? Because we use do. that for movies. Yes, they I do. Didn't know that. And so it'll, you know, quickly tell you like, is there drugs or sex or swearing or disrespectful behavior or, mm-hmm. you know, any of those kind of things that's really helpful to see at a glance. So they don't have every book on there, but they have a lot, especially if it's kind of wow. a popular book. So that's really helpful. And my other secret tip that I use in conjunction with that is Amazon ratings. Mm-hmm. And I usually go and read the one and two stars mm. because that's where people are most likely to mention, like, I could not believe how much swearing there was in this book. Or, you know, I was reading this, you know, I was going to give this to my sixth grader and there was all this drug use or, you know, whatever it is, yeah. that's usually going to get mentioned in those low star reviews. And so you can just quickly scan through those. And usually if there's something that might be a red flag for you, probably someone else is going to have mentioned it, especially, like I said, on those more popular books. 
Wow, those are amazing tips. <laughs> I had no idea. I mean, the the Amazon one or two star thing, I have done that before, but I had no idea that Common Sense Media had books on there. Yes, what a great do a good tip. job. So that's really helpful. Very cool. Okay, now I want to ask you a really fun question. <laughs> what are some of your must-reads? Like, I know that's a hard question to ask someone who's so well-read, but, you know, what are some of the books that you feel like? I love to find a book that when I finish it, I think I'm jealous of the person who hasn't read this yet. So I, if I had to choose a number one favorite book, it would be probably a book you've never heard of because it's not like wildly popular called The Wednesday Wars by Gary Schmidt. It's a middle grade book. It won a Newbery Honor uh, probably about 10 years ago. I read it when I was in grad school. So yeah, 10 or 11 years ago. It's about this little boy. Well, he's a seventh grader and it's during the Vietnam War. And he, in his seventh grade class, half of the kids are Jewish and half of the kids are Catholic. And he's the only one that's not. I think he's mm -hmm. Protestant. So every Wednesday, all the Jewish students go to synagogue, I think, and the Catholic students go to, I don't remember what uh, Catholic students go to, <laughs> but um, so he's the only one left in the class. And so his teacher says, great, well, then you and I are going to study Shakespeare. And he is not on board on that at all. He's convinced she just hates him and is trying to make his life miserable. Mm -hmm. It's so smart. It is so funny. It is just such a great book. It's probably the book I've recommended more than almost anything else. I made wow. my husband listen to it on audio after I read it within a few months of when I read it. And after maybe like one chapter, he's like, I like it. I don't know that I'm going to love it as much as you did. And by the end, he was like, this is one of the best books I have ever listened to. It is so good. So oh, cool. I can't wait to read it. It is just really fun and different. I love that one. Another one that I love is Cheaper by the Dozen. Oh, which most people are like, oh yeah, I saw the movie and the movie was mm -hmm. dumb. Yes, the movie was dumb and it has nothing. It, it's completely not related to the book at all, except mm -hmm. that they have 12 children. The book is actually a memoir by two of the children that grow up in this family of 12 children about oh. their childhood. And their dad is this efficiency expert. So he's always testing his efficiency theories, you know, at home. So like, we're going to teach you all the fastest way to take a bath so we can get 12 kids in and out of the bath as fast as possible. And, you know, all these funny things. And my dad read this book growing up. And when he and my mom got married, he said, I'd really like you to read this book before we have kids. And then when I got married, I said to my husband, you need to read this book before we get married. It is just fantastic. It is laugh out loud funny and also just so interesting and really sweet. I love that book. And okay. I feel like the movie did it such a... It's not super long. I would say it's just over 100 pages probably. But I would say the movie did it a uh, great disservice because now everyone who's seen the movie is like, well, I have no interest in that book. <laughs> and you're like, no, it's so good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Totally different. Cool. I can't wait to, to read that or, I don't know, listen to it, whatever. Sometimes I listen to books. What's your opinion on that? What's your favorite? Do you enjoy listening to a book or reading a book more? Oh, I love audiobooks. And I think especially when you're a busy mom, they're like mm -hmm. a it just makes it so much easier to fit a lot of reading in. So I do listen to a lot of audiobooks. And I also think audiobooks are one of the most underused 
parenting tools because mm-hmm. they're, you know, I, I have, I talk to so many people who are like, I love audiobooks and I never thought about using them for my kids. And my kids love audiobooks. And you know, when you're, you just really like need 10 minutes to get something done. Yeah. And so you turn on a show and then your kid is a monster for like two hours. Maybe that's just my children, but you, you know, know, it's just like, too. <laughs> it's, you know, you just think, was that even worth it? I feel right. like audiobooks give you that same, like your child some time to calm down or just be entertained for a little bit without that screen time detox that is so killer. And so my girls listen to audiobooks every night before they go to bed. My younger ones listen during quiet time while my baby naps and we listen to them in the car. They're so, I love audiobooks. As what a great tip. One of my favorite things. And I think, I think audiobooks are great for every kid. A couple of quick things I want to tell you about audiobooks is one, I think they're so good if you have a reluctant reader or mm. a struggling reader, because, you know, if you're in like second or third grade and your peers are all reading like fun, exciting chapter books and you're, you know, slogging through those easy readers that really have no plot with, you know, your that's very discouraging and makes is really a turnoff to reading and audiobooks give them a chance to experience those same books that their peers are reading or siblings, even if they can't physically read yet or at that level. And you can listen, you know, just like you could read, um, tell me how old your second daughter is. Lila's four. She okay. just turned four a couple months ago. Yeah. So she can like listen to a beginning chapter book that you mm-hmm. can read aloud to her that she could never read on her own. Um, and a child can just listen on such a much higher level than they can read on their own. So they get so much more vocabulary and how a story works and following a storyline and understanding, you know, characters and keeping track of them. So you learn all, you get all these good reading skills even before you're physically able to read. So I think whether you're not reading yet or you are struggling with reading, audiobooks are just such a gift. Uh, The other thing about audiobooks is that they're just fun. I mean, there's so many good narrators now. You think of like Jim Dale who did, all the Harry Potter audiobooks. I, I can't remember what the number is, but he did, has say, like 170 individual voices that he does for the Harry wow. Potter. Wow. I mean, he is so amazingly talented. It's just such a fun medium for kids and adults. And I think, you know, to listen together is really fun when you're in the car to give you this shared experience. If you don't have time to read aloud to your kids or spend a lot of time physically reading aloud to them, but you're in the car a lot, driving to soccer practice or school or, you know, up to the grandparents, whatever, I think then that's such a fun way to connect instead of just like handing everybody an iPad. That's really cool. Yeah. We need to do more of that. I, I want to ask you too, how are your kids listening to these? Are they, cause my kids like to ask Alexa uh-huh. to turn on, you know, read me the Treehouse. Book. What did you say it was called one more time? Magic Treehouse. Magic Treehouse. Right. So read me Magic Treehouse. Sometimes she'll say that or they'll say, read me a, or tell me a story. But are you, are your kids listening on headphones and some type of device or are they just using like an Alexa type thing? How do you guys do that? So our most used device is just an old school CD player, you know, yeah. and everyone's like, which ones do you recommend? And I'm like, uh, whatever the cheapest one at Target is on the shelf. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing fancy, you know, 20 bucks. Um, and I've had tons of people too, although I've never done this myself, say you can always find them at garage sales or Goodwill or a thrift store for like five bucks, you know, because Smart. people don't use them anymore. And that's really nice because you don't have any of the distractions of using a tablet for it 
or, yeah. you know, oh, I'm going to go listen to an audiobook. Actually, I'm going to go play games on there. Exactly. Uh, so that's really nice. And then we just check out CDs from the library. Every library we've ever lived by has a very robust audiobook collection on CD for kids. Um, then we also use Overdrive is the app that most libraries use. And so you can just check out audiobooks through your library right on your phone or, you know, tablet. And then I'll just connect it to our Alexa. So they rarely listen uh, through headphones, actually. And mostly just a CD player or I just, you know, use the Bluetooth connection to play it from my phone onto either our car system or Alexa. Okay, cool. That's that's helpful. Good to know. Um, I want to bring it back to just selfishly (laughs) more book recommendations. I am a total junkie when it comes to self-help books. <laughs> and I, I'm i curious to know what some of your favorite self-help books are. Well, I'm a major Gretchen Rubin fan. I love Gretchen Rubin. So um, The Happiness Project is was kind of her book that shot her to stardom. You know, mm-hmm. she, she always says when people are like, oh, what was it like to be an overnight success? She was like, that was my sixth book. So <laughs> it wasn't, it was a 10-year overnight success. Mm-hmm. So I love the happiness project. I personally think her best one is, oh, I'm playing on the tiles. It's one about habits. Oh, better than before. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's fantastic. It's all about habit formation, but you know, I think if you're kind of like a type A person, you read some of these habit books and you're like, oh yeah, no problem. I'll just like do the things. And I think what she does is a really good job of recognizing everybody has different personalities. You know, if you are a night, if your body likes to be awake at night, it's gonna be very hard for you to get up and go to the gym at 4.30 in the morning. And, you know, some people, you know, she talked about abstainers versus moderators. Like, is Mm -hmm. it easier for you to never eat treats and never think about it again? Or is it easier to say like, once a week I have a dessert or, you know, whatever that is. And so I think she does a really great job um, helping you think whatever those habits are, if they're fitness related or relationships or work or uh, cleanliness, you know, whatever those things are for you thinking through like, what is my personality like and what's going to work for me? Um, so that one, and she's just such an interesting, fun, engaging writer. I really love her book. So that would be one. There's also one that I, well, this is another author that I have two books to recommend by her. This is Laura Vanderkam. If you're familiar with her. I'm not. Oh, I really like her. She has, uh, the first book I read of hers was called 168 Hours. And I think the subtitle is something like, you have more time than you think. Hmm. And basically how to, organize your life to fit in the things that are important to you, whether that's playing tennis with a girlfriend or joining a church choir or volunteering at your kid's school. And, you know, thinking of your life in week-long blocks rather than in daily blocks, like you might not be able to do something every day, but in, a, in the course of a week, there's a lot of time. And um, she just, it's really, it's another one like Gretchen Room where she's a very interesting, fun writer and I, I read that one a couple of times. It's fantastic. Her other book that I love is called All the Money in the World. And it's all about how you spend your money. But, you know, most money books are like, Dave, you know, I love Dave Ramsey. So this is nothing against Dave Ramsey, but are more just like how to spend less, how to save more, investing, mm-hmm. paying off your house. Hers is more like these different frameworks to figure out how can you use your money to make you happy? Like, hmm. is a $50,000 wedding going to make you happy? Or would you be better off having a $20,000 wedding and then using that $30,000 over the next 20, you know, 10 years or whatever to go on a date 
every Friday? Like, is that going to bring you more marital happiness than the big wedding? And, you know, I think she's very non-judgmental about it. You know, it's like, if that big wedding is the thing for you, you go for it. If it's like Mm -hmm. the small thing, you do that too. You know, is a big house in the suburbs better for you or is a smaller house where you're right in the middle of downtown a better fit for you? And so it's just an interesting way to think about how do I use my money in a intentional way that meets my personal life goals and what brings me happiness, not just kind of what's the status quo. It's very interesting. I pretty much read the whole thing aloud to my husband. I got to read you this one 17 paragraphs. That's so awesome. I kind of, it's funny. I don't know if you guys do this, but I'll read a book and I get so excited about it that I start giving Neil all the cliff notes. Oh, totally. And then he's like, I've already read the book. You told told me everything. I'm like, no, you still need to read it. It's so good. And we, we go through that all the time. So I've gotten to the point where I'm like, I can't even tell you about this book. You just have to read it yourself. (laughs) Because I get too excited and then I tell him everything. So that's funny, but that sounds like a great read too. Yeah, it's a fun one. So another question for you. If there's... Well, there's probably a lot of books that are like this, but is there a book that changed your life? Like after you read it, you were like, I'm never going to be the same. You know, one book that was like that, it's a book called Just Mercy by Brian Stevenson. Came out, it's a couple of years old, but uh, pretty new. And he is a African-American lawyer in the South. And he is now the executive director of a program called the Equal Justice Initiative. And so the book, is a couple of storylines that go through the whole thing about specifically African-Americans who are imprisoned unjustly on a racial basis, but then also kind of an overarching look at the U.S. justice and prison system, Mm. you know, which how much had I ever thought about that in my life? Basically none. And (laughs) I was just so gripped by this book. And you know that part in Harry Potter? I don't know if you're a Harry Potter fan, but Hermione says, I'm I'm like one of those few people (laughs) who couldn't get into it. And every time I tell my siblings that they give me the, like the worst looks like you horrible person. But I mean, that's probably sounds extreme They They just like roll their eyes and they're like, how could you not love this book? I kind of, I I tried it a couple times and about 15, 20 pages into it. I gave up too early and I was like, this is, I don't know why everyone loves this, but (laughs) they always say like, if you would have just given it a chance, but to answer your question, no, I'm not a Harry Potter lover, <laughs> although I have seen all the movies. I know well, that's not the same. For any of your listeners who are Harry Potter lovers, which I'm going to assume is many of them, there's this part where Ron says to Harry, Hermione has said all these, you know, things that she's worried about. and Or I can't remember even now who says it, so maybe I'm not the best Harry Potter fan in the world here. But Ron says, one person can't feel all that at once. They'd explode. And uh, Hermione says, just because you've got the emotional range of a teaspoon doesn't mean we all have. This book made me feel like that. Like, I'm just like over here doing laundry. And this guy is like saving the world. Like, you know, he's working with these children who are tried and sentenced as adults and sent to adult prisons. They basically have like no chance ever to get their life back on track, you know, from the time they're like 14 or how, you know, the prison system and the justice system is just so systemically racially biased and mm. and that the prison system in general in the US is just so massive and out of control. I was just so huge. And anyway, it was just one of those books where I just thought when I finished that like 
I will never listen to the news or, you know, read a news story or see a prison in the same way again. Now that I've read this book, it is just, this is probably not the kind of book you thought I was going to tell you about. It is. No, but that's fascinating. That's really interesting. It was just really amazing. And I was amazed by how many of my readers had read it when I mentioned that I had just started it. It's done very well. And, you know, and I don't think he's just like saying prisons are all bad and no one on earth deserves to go to prison, but more like we have this really expensive, like unbelievably expensive in 1980, the spending for jails and prisons was about $6.9 billion. By the time this book was written in 2014, it was at $80 billion a year spent on the prison system. So, I mean, it's just this extremely massive, extremely expensive program in the U.S. that has a lot of issues. And, And I mean, I think for most of us, it's kind of invisible, you know? I mean, how often do you think about prisons or the prison system, like never, you know? So it was just really interesting. And it was kind of a very eye-opening, life-changing book for me. Yeah, that sounds very interesting. I just have to add my little, I because I want to know if you've read it too. The, the one book that I feel like really, other than the Book of Mormon, which is really my very, very favorite book that I talk about a lot, but other than that book, my, the one book that I read the first time and just felt like I will never be the same was left to tell. Have you read that book? Uh, no, I don't think I have. Really? Well, there's there's your next. <laughs> if you're looking for a good book, it's by a woman named Immaculate Ilabegeza. I'm probably, I am certain that I'm butchering her name. But uh, Immaculate is a woman who survived the Rwandan Holocaust. And she talks about how she hid in this bathroom with these other women for, uh, I think, 100 days in a bathroom the size of, like, a utility closet. Oh, my so, word. So, yeah, I think there were seven women or eight women or something like that that all hid together in this bathroom, this teeny tiny bathroom. And it's a fascinating story, good from the first page, all about it. It talks all about her faith and how her faith got her through that. So, anyway, a well, book that just— it right now. Thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, that book really, I was just a different person after I read that book. So, but I, I probably not to the same level, but I like you really love to read and love that experience of just being immersed in a book and getting lost in the story. And it's one of my favorite things about going on a vacation, honestly, is knowing that I'm not going to have interruptions and I'll be able to actually just sit down and read for a few hours. That's truly one of my favorite things to do on a vacation. So I feel that um, way about when I get on a plane. Like, yeah, disconnected, nothing to do but read my book. Yes, I just read Eden Brook, and have you read that yet? Yes, yes. Uh, Ralphie's actually the one that recommended that one to me, and it was fantastic. So good and so fun to just just a fun, light, easy read, but just really get lost in in those pages. And so, okay, I have one last question for you that I love to ask everyone. And that is, if there's one message that people walk away from this podcast and remember from you, what, what one message do you want them to remember? I think it's that reading with your children is just almost one of the easiest things that you can do to connect with them. I mean, if you can read almost at any level, you can sit down with your child on the couch or snuggle up in bed and spend five minutes there. It doesn't have to be 
you don't need a program. You don't need something complicated. You can pick any book and connect with your child. And I feel like that is just the magic of books and reading is that it is so simple and so easy to connect with your children in a really meaningful way that has so many benefits. And I think it's easy to make it more complicated than it needs to be. It doesn't have to be complicated. You can pick any book that you liked from your childhood. You know, your child wants to spend time with you and this takes no preparation. You don't need anything, no props, no nothing. And you can just spend that time together. I love that so much. That What a beautiful thought that it, it doesn't need to be complicated or fancy or, you know, just spending the time together. Yeah. And and loving that time together. That's something that I need to remember, too. My kids really love it when I read to them, and, and I really treasure that time with them. So thanks so much for all of your tips today, all of your new ideas. I feel like I'm so much more empowered to pick the right books <laughs> and to know how to get my kids to love to read more and read with them more and let them listen to a book themselves. There just are so many good takeaways today that I'm super grateful for. Where can people find you if they want to get into your book recommendations and more of these tips and learn from you more? So my blog is Everyday Reading. It's everyday-reading.com. And then on Instagram, it's Everyday Reading. And I'm, I post about five days a week on my blog. And, you know, there's tabs at the top so you can find all the book lists or picture books or young adult books or nonfiction, you know, kind of whatever you're looking for. And, you know, anybody can, I'm always, I try to respond to every message. So if you're looking for a certain kind of book, I'm always happy to help, you know, track it down or on Instagram. So thanks awesome. so much for having me. This was, oh my gosh, Jansen, thank you. I just adore you. And this was such a fun interview. So thanks for taking the time to do this with me. Absolutely. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for listening to Mint Arrow Messages. Make sure you follow us on Instagram at Mint Arrow subscribe to our Apple podcasts and rate and review us if you like us. And to get show notes, go to mintarrow.com slash podcast. And you can even sign up to get show notes emailed right to your inbox and we'll email you every time there's a new episode.